The last of the four categories of damaging, which the Mishnah has yet to go into the details of, is Aish. We've discussed Shur, damage done by one's animal, and we saw that there were three subcategories within Shur. There's Shane, when the animal eats or benefits from the damage which it is doing. There's Regel, damage done by the animal walking or doing a regular act and causing damage in the middle. And there is Keren, where the animal intends to do the damage, for example, goring. So those are the three subcategories, Shane, Regel, and Keren within Shur. And that's really the form of damage which the Mishnais have discussed the most details about. Apart from that, we've also seen laws to do with burr, category of damage to do with one's pit or caused by one's obstacle. And thirdly, Odom Hamazik, damage done by the person himself. The last of the four categories which we haven't yet discussed is damage done by Aish, by one's fire, and that is the focus of the last three Mishnahis of this Perek. And in order for one to be responsible for damage caused by fire, he needs to be the one who is the last one who caused the fire to actually spread and do its damage. The damage done by the fire is associated with the last person who turned the fire into something which is going to cause damage. And because of that, one who sends something which can cause fire in the hand of a deaf and dumb person or a fool or a child who can't take responsibility over themselves. And for example, you give them a candle so a candle within itself is not something which is going to set fire to things. So the fact that you lit the candle doesn't make you responsible for any damage which is going to take place by that fire. The person who did turn that into something which is going to cause damage is the person who took the fire from him. And therefore Potterbudin Odom, the person who gave him the fire, is exempt in the laws of man, meaning in Bastin, there will be no monetary obligation upon him to pay the nizak for the damage caused. However, the Chayvudin Shomayim, he is liable to pay, that's how we're going to understand, there's a debate as to what exactly this means, but we're going to understand that he is liable to pay for the damages according to the heavenly law, meaning it's not something which Bastin can force him to do, and the nizak can't necessarily claim a monetary claim. However, the correct thing to do, to fulfill his duty towards heaven as well, is to pay, because he should have thought and realized that by giving over this fire to the Cheyushet of Akatan, damage is relatively likely to occur. What happens if Shilach if he sent the fire in the hands of a normal person who can't take responsibility over himself, in that case certainly a only the Pekeach, the normal person who took the fire, would be responsible, and the person who gave him the fire wouldn't be responsible at all. Because he does not need to expect that somebody who is normal and is able to guard the fire is going to end up doing damage with it. And that is totally outside of his responsibility. Now continuing with this principle, that it is the last person along the line, it's the last person who causes the damage, that is the person who the fire is associated with. Misha tells us that if one person brings the fire, for example he's got some fire on a match, he's got a lit match or a candle, but it's not something which is going to cause any danger. And then somebody else brought wood and added the wood to the fire. So now he increased the fire into something much bigger with the potential to do real damage. So if indeed the damage is done, who's going to be liable? The one who brought the wood there would be liable, because he is the one who turned it into a fire, which is able to do the damage, and therefore the fire is associated with him. Even though without the fire of the first person, he wouldn't be able to do this. Nevertheless, the second person is fully responsible in this case. And what happens if it's the opposite? If first somebody brought wood in piled up wood, and then, then somebody brought the, brought the fire and set fire to the wood. 
Again, even though he wouldn't have been able to do this without the word of the first person, it is clearly the second person who is going to be responsible, and therefore Hamavius Urchayev, the one who brings the fire and sets fire to the word, he would be liable for any damage which is caused. What happens if after these two people, one person bought the wood, one person bought the fire, then somebody else bought Achev Somebody else came and blew at the fire. He increased the fire by giving it air, by blowing something on it, so he increased the fire so that it will now have the potential to damage even more. In that case, Hamalabichayev, only the person who did that last stage, would be liable to pay for the damages which are caused. And here you really see this principle that the fire, the damage done by the fire, is associated with the last person who was involved in the process of creating that fire which goes and does the damage. Now what happens if after all of this happens, someone bought the wood and the fire, perhaps somebody even blew the fire a bit, but it was still relatively under control, it might have done damage. But then what happened is an unusually strong wind came and made the fire totally out of control and caused the damage. And this is a wind which they're not expected to expect that it might come. That's not within their responsibility to expect an unusually strong wind to come, and therefore in that case, Kulon Paturin, all of them will be exempt from paying for the damages, because now the fire is associated with the wind. Alright, continues the Mishnah, HaShaleach Sabeira, one who sends the fire. For example, he lights a fire within his own domain, and the fire spreads, Ochla eats him, and it consumed wood belonging to somebody else, Ayavonim, or stones belonging to somebody else, Ayofar, or the earth, the soil of somebody else's field. So he damaged the field, what's going to grow from there in the future, Chayev. In all of these cases, he is liable to pay for the damages. Shenem, as the Pesach says, Kiseitzeish, when fire goes out, it was, lit- it was lit within your own domain, but it went out and spread, it found thorns, and that's how the fire spread, and a stack of grain was consumed, or grain which is still standing and attached to the ground, or the field. When it says that it eats the field, that's really referring to the last case where it damages the soil and the earth of the field. In all of these cases, the one who caused this fire is obligated to pay for the damage. Now what happens if somebody lights a fire within his own domain? However, he had a fence around his domain. Around his field there was a fence, but nevertheless, the fire managed to pass over a fence which was at least four amas tall, or the fire managed to cross uh, all along a public road which is considered to be at least 16 amas wide, or the fire managed to pass across a river, this is not considered to be something which the person is supposed to expect. It's uncommon for this to happen, it's unexpected, and therefore Potter, he would be exempt because that is outside of his responsibility of what he needs to expect. It's considered an oiness, something which is out of his control, and he is not liable to pay for those damages. Now the last part of the Mishnah discusses something similar, and this is Amalek Masech Shaloi, one who lights a fire within his own domain, but in the middle of his domain, and he's got a very large area which all belongs to him, and Kamar Tara had a to what distance is it considered normal for the fire to spread? And by extension, for how much would he be liable to pay for the damages done? Within what area? So we have a number of opinions. We view the fire as if it's in the middle of a base car, which is an area of 75,000 square amas, a very large area, meaning you have to expect that it's going to spread for even huge distances. If you didn't guard it properly, so you're going to be responsible. says, You only need to be concerned that it's going to spread 16 amas in any direction, just like the width of a public road like we saw in the previous part of the Mishnah. But if it spreads more than that, then it's considered out of your control, not something which you need to suspect is going to occur, and therefore you'll be exempt for the damages. 
Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Akiva says Chamishim Amo. One needs to be concerned that it's going to spread 50 Amos in any direction. Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Shimon says you can't give fixed amounts. Rather, Shalim Yisham Amavis The Torah says that the one who is responsible for the fire needs to pay for the damages. Hakolif Yadaleka. And it all depends on the fire, on the situation, how strong the wind is. There are many factors to take into account and therefore we can't give a fixed amount. But each case would need to be judged within itself whether it's considered to be a relatively common and regular thing which you would need to expect is going to occur and therefore you would be liable for paying for those damages. Hey, in some of the categories of damage, there are certain exemptions which the psukim say, even though really you are technically speaking responsible for causing this damage, there special, there's, a, there's a special exemption which the Torah gives that in this case you won't need to pay for the damages. For example, we learnt regarding the category of damage of burr, where one sets up an obstacle or a pit for somebody to fall into, that any damage caused to items which are not a person or an animal, one is not liable to pay for. Similarly, if a person falls into the pit and is not injured but he dies, if he's injured then the person who made the pit would be liable. But if the person dies, there's a special exemption that one is exempt for paying for that. Another example of an exemption is, for example, in Shane and Regel. The categories of damage where the animal walks and damages or it eats something and damages, if that occurs in a public area, then again there is an exemption. This Mishnah tells us the exemption which applies to Aish. And again, it's learnt from Psukim, as we'll explain. And this is the exemption of Tomun. Tomun means something which is hidden inside of something else. And the Mishnah says, Hamadik Zagodish, one who sets fire to somebody else's stack of grain, and inside that stack of grain were items. The person had hid certain things inside the stack of grain. Vidolku and the stack of grain, as well as the items, set on fire and they were burnt. Rabbi Huda says, The person who set fire to it is obligated to pay for whatever was inside the stack of grain. He does not need to pay for the things inside, because according to the Chachomim there is an exemption of Tomun, as we'll explain in a moment. However, he does need to pay for damaging a stack of wheat or barley grain, meaning the space which was taken up by those items, we imagine as if it was wheat or barley, whatever the stack of grain was, and he has to pay for having burnt a full stack of grain. Now what is the source for this exemption of Tomun? So the Pasuk which we saw in the previous Mishnah, one of the examples of the things which were burnt is Koma, grain which is standing inside the, inside the ground, it's attached to the ground, and that example is given in order to teach the one is only liable for paying for things which are open and not hidden at all. They're not covered, but if something is covered then one will be exempt. Continues the Mishnah. If there was a goat tied to the stack of grain, or it was, it was tied very near to the stack of grain, and it's not able to run away. And there is a slave belonging to the person who owns that stack of grain. He's standing near to the stack of grain, but he's not tied at all, so he's able to run away. And he is burnt together with the stack of grain. So we're going to understand that both the slave and the stack of grain were burnt and destroyed or killed. Chayev, he is liable to pay for the damage done to the goat and to the stack of grain, but he's totally not responsible for killing the slave because the slave should have run away. Now what happens if it's the opposite? Eved Kofusloi, if there was a slave tied to the stack of grain, or right next to the stack of grain, and there was a goat which was only next to it, but again it could have run away, it wasn't tied, and it can be expected that the goat is going to run away from a fire. So he's not responsible for the goat, but what about for the stack of grain. One would expect that he should be obligated to pay for that. Says the Mishnah Potter, he is exempt. 
Why would that be? Because of a rule which we've seen already in the Masechta, and that is Kim If somebody does an act for which there are two different punishments involved, for example, one is that he has to pay, and one is that he is killed. For example, in this case, he would need to pay for the stack of grain, but he would also be killed and based, and he gets the death penalty because he killed a person. And he is responsible for killing the person because the person was tied and he couldn't have run away. And therefore he is exempt from paying for the damage done to the stack of grain because of the rule of Kim Lebe that he only gets the more severe punishment. Now the last bit of the Mishnah goes back to the discussion of the first half of the Mishnah. The Chachomim agree with Rabbi Yehuda that there is no exemption of Tomun, something hidden, when it comes to somebody who sets fire to a house, to a building. In that case, he is obligated to pay for all of the items which are inside the house as well. Because it is the regular way of people to place items inside a house. And we understand that the entire exemption to pay for things which are hidden is only if it's not a regular thing to be hidden. It's not normal, it's not expected that something is going to be hidden inside of the stack of grain. But for items to be inside a house, that's certainly normal. So it is understood that when the Torah gave the exemption of Tomun, it doesn't apply to somebody who lights a house on fire. A spark which comes out of the bottom of a hammer when someone bangs the hammer. The hizik and the spark cause damage, it caused the fire. Chayev, the one who banged the hammer, would be liable to pay for the damages. Next case, pishton, a camel which was loaded with flax, a straw-like material from the field, and it's passing in a public area, on a public road, and it's got so much flax that the flax actually ended up going into the inside of a shop as it was passing by the shop. Part of the flax went inside the shop and the Dolkmenei and it caught on fire from the candle belonging to the shopkeeper. The Hilig Zabira and it set fire to the entire building. Says the Mishnah, the owner of the camel is liable to pay for the damages done to the building because he overloaded the camel with flax and so it is considered to be his fault. On the other hand, if the shopkeeper placed his candle with uh, fire on it outside of his shop, so then he's the one considered responsible. So the shopkeeper will be liable to pay for the damage done to the flax, and the owner of the camel would not need to pay for that which was done to the building because it's considered to be the shopkeeper's fault. Rabbi Yehuda says, I've got a special exemption, if it is the candle of the menorah on Hanukkah, then the shopkeeper has permission to put it there. The ideal way of performing the mitzvah is to put it right outside of one's house. And so because he has full permission to put it there, he's not going to be responsible for damage caused by what he is doing in a permitted way. So in such case, he would be exempt for paying for the flax of the camel. Out of the last four prokhmah of the Masechta, three of them are really a totally new topic, not to do with causing damage to somebody else. The eighth parak does go back to that discussion, when somebody injures another person. But this coming parak, as well as the final two prokhmah of the Masechta, discuss stealing. And there are two different ways of stealing. One is called Geneva, that is the focus of this parak, and the other is called Gezela, which is the focus of the final two prokhim. Gezela, which is the focus of the t- final two prokhim, him, is when one steals something by force. It's not done in secret, but he forces somebody to allow him to do something with, his, with the other person's property. Well, the main point, it's not done in secret. Whereas this parak discusses Gneva, which is when one steals from somebody else without that other person knowing that he stole from him. And the Torah says that in the case of Gneva, 
the thief not only has to return what he stole, but he has to return double. He has to return the item which he stole, plus its value. That is known as tashlume kefel, a payment of double. As well as that, the Torah says that if somebody steals either an ox or a sheep, specifically those two animals, if somebody steals them, and then he either slaughters that animal, or he sells that animal to somebody else. In that case, instead of paying tashlume kefel, which is only double, he has to pay four or five times the amount, four or five times the value of the sheep or the ox. For the ox, he would have to pay five times its value. And if it's a sheep, it would only be four times the value. One of the reasons being that when somebody steals a sheep, he has to sort of carry the sheep. He can't just lead it like he would with an ox. But he has to carry the sheep. So it seems to other people a bit obvious that he is stealing it. So he suffers some embarrassment. And amazingly, the Torah has pity even on this thief who is suffering embarrassment whilst stealing, that because of the embarrassment which he already suffered, he doesn't need to pay back five times the value, rather only four times the value. But as May tells us the Mishnah, the measure of the payment of double, which applies to a regular thief, is more, it applies in more cases than than the payment of four or five times the value. Why? Because the measure and the punishment of paying back double applies to both things which do have life, they're an animal, or to inanimate objects which are not animals, whereas the measure and the punishment of paying four or five times the value in the case where he sold it or slaughtered it after he stole it, that only applies in an hexad that only applies to one who steals an ox or a sheep. Shinema as the Pasuk says, Ki when a person steals an ox or a sheep, and he slaughters it or he sells it, then the Torah says that he has to pay back four or five times the amount, but not in any other case. Now, even though we had a Mishnah at the end of the fifth parak, which said that in most cases in the, in the Torah, when it talks about a specific animal, it's just an example. The Torah doesn't mean that it only applies to that specific animal. However, here it's different because the Torah says it twice. So the Torah is emphasizing that this punishment only applies to one who steals an ox or a sheep. Continues the Mishnah, One who steals from a thief, let's say Ruvain stole an animal from Shimon, and then Levi comes and takes that animal from Ruvain. Levi is exempt from paying back double, he only has to pay back the actual value to Ruvain, and Ruvain would pay back double to the owner Shimon. This is learned from the Posuk, which says that Tashlomi Kefal only applies when Vgunavan Beso Ish, if the item is stolen from the house of the person who owns it, but not if it's stolen from somebody else. Now, though this Posuk of Vgunavan Beso Ish is only talking about Tashlomi Kefal, in any scenario where one is not obligated to pay Tashlomi Kefal, then you wouldn't receive the other punishment of paying an additional two or three times the value for slaughtering or selling it. That extra punishment which applies to an ox or a sheep when you sell or slaughter it, that only applies in a scenario where you have to pay Tashmei Kefel. And therefore, one who slaughters or sells an ox or a donkey after stealing it from the thief, he would also not need to pay he would not need to pay back four or five times the value, and he would only pay back the actual value of the animal which he stole.